and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 130. In this episode, I'm going to be doing a deep dive on the discography of the Dutch death metal band Gorefest. Uh, people who've been listening for a while may remember I've, I've covered um, them before, particularly on the episode where I did a bit of a history on their drummer, Ed Warby. But he doesn't come into the picture until a little later on, so let's start right back at the start. I think something interesting with Gorefest is... They seem like a band who were very big in the Netherlands at the time and you know, quite successful in the early sort of tape trading death metal scene of the late 80s, early 90s, but don't seem to get mentioned quite as much as a lot of their sort of contemporaries. And I wonder if that is purely because they broke up and had a lot of longing active period in the middle, but they formed in 1989, so they were like right there along with bands like Phanatos, Asphyx, Pestilence, like you know, the big names of the scene. And I think at their peak were putting out records kind of equivalent to some of those greats. There is there is stuff in the Gorefest catalogue that really, for my money, does um does deserve revisiting in the same way some of those classics do. So Gorefest start out incredibly strong. Their first demo, Tangled in Gore, comes out the same year they formed uh, this excellent four track, just very classic death metal um feeling it's unsurprisingly very i think influenced by like the early earache bands stuff like you can hear some carcass like maybe a little napalm death definitely some like influence from death like maybe a little bolt thrower like that kind of like the more mid-paced death metal and maybe some of the the sort of slower end of grind getting in there i think they're in that really interesting period of death metal as well where they refer to their sound as kind of quite grindcore influenced and it's sort of like there in the lyrics early on are all kind of very gory horror movie inspired uh takes on death metal which i think was all part of what people used to call grind before that became you know so delineated in the way we kind of see it now the thing with this demo is they just like they may not be reinventing the wheel in terms of like death metal riff writing but it's just all executed so perfectly like the tones are really great the playing sounds very tight for a demo recording like the bass even gets a look in the sound like it's it's quite full and heavy feeling and it's just like a really kind of gnarly approach yang chris's voice on this as well is like very traditional kind of like gruff guttural death metal for the period which is interesting because his voice will change sort of quite a lot over the over the coming releases but yeah just an immensely kind of competent debut of yeah four really catchy memorable heavy brutal kind of disgusting sounding death metal songs like for a demo called tangle and gore like this is exactly kind of what you'd want from that and they they really nail it there's nothing overly flashy like there's a few leads in there but they're very simple none of the performances are overly complex but as i say it really has that sort of early earache energy to it that sort of very straightforward just focus on like excellent tight writing and kind of a general horrific approach to it's kind of imagery lyrics and uh you know the overall trappings of it at this point it's probably worth noting the lineup of the band because this won't change much over the course of the episode so um 
the the band is fronted by Yang Chris uh, Kojia. I'm sorry, I'm not sure how to say his surname, but he he does bass and vocals. Um, we have Frank Hawthorne on guitar, and then the other two members early on are drummer Mark uh, Hudendorn and then second guitarist Alex Van Shake. And as I say, at this point, they're a really solid band for like this early on. The demo has the roughness expected of a demo from the 80s, but actually, it's kind of sounds surprisingly great. Like everything's really clear. The performances are really solid and the songwriting's top-notch for such a new band and nicely as well with with all of Gorefest stuff is very easy to get hold of these now they did these uh, collections so you can get the first album and all the demo material so it's really easy to like track down this if you are interested and I'd, I'd highly advise going back to their debut uh, demo Tangled in Gore. <laughs> So the band would put out their second demo, which for the purposes of this episode I am going to be referring to as Horrors, which is yet another four-track thing where they've just improved in all the kind of all the ways you'd hope between two demos. Like the, the style hasn't changed that much, it's just got a bit more complex. The musicians, it's got that much better, the drumming's a bit more like intense. There's some and it's just more variety in the riffs. Like the demo opens incredibly strong with uh, Confessions of a Serial Killer, which would go on to be their sort of like legendary track for quite a while. Um, it has this cool intro that's like very sinister and strange, and apparently composed by um, a guy who went on to be quite a successful like Netherlands musician and more of a pop uh, format, but I, I didn't recognise the name of the band, I must confess. Um, but yeah, and a rare example actually of a 90s <laughs> death metal uh, release with an intro that actually blends really nicely into the song. Like, it's just a nice build-up. But yeah, Confessions of Serial Killer is like six minutes with loads of variation in the riffing and just really, really solid death metal track. But all all four of the, the songs on this, um, particularly Horrors and Fetal Carnage, are, are just like fantastic gore-fast songs. And kind of a shame actually that they sort of, in the later catalogue, get a bit a bit lost where this will come up when we um we get to the live album relatively soon yeah I, this this demo i think is is like one of the early sort of pinnacles of the band like horrors is is definitely definitely well worth revisiting and it that's going to become relevant as we talk about the the debut album so i won't dwell on it for too long because there's going to be some comparisons here interestingly as well to sort of show what's going on in the netherlands at the time they are also put out on the where is your god now split so it just took two tracks off of um 
off of horrors and this was put out by dsfa records currently gorvis releasing everything else independently with a load of bands that go on to be very you know kind of well known in in that scene acrostition sinister deadhead and a band called disfigured who i think just put out a single demo where <laughs> they have one track on the end of this and they didn't quite go on to the same success as the other four but yeah if you know much about the scene like th- those are all bands who've got some really interesting early releases and particularly like sinister still still an interesting band to this day so the reason i'm not doing horrors long is a year later we come to their debut album mind loss so they've been uh, signed by foundation 2000 records who looking back not a particularly interesting label beyond putting out the the debut couple of albums from uh, the gathering otherwise not a lot i was particularly familiar with there but they did get gorefest in touch with colin richardson to produce them so you know some big names and, and like a name they probably would have been quite excited for at the time based on what he'd he'd kind of recently recorded um to record this debut album mind loss mind loss is very much based on the the two demos that went before the of the eight tracks from those two demos every single one of them is on this album albeit in a completely different order and then there's just an intro and one new song mental misery and when compared with the the previous releases like it is it is a lot cleaner and clearer it sounds much tighter because they they clearly had a lot more time in the studio to record this starts with a completely pointless intro but the the opening track mental misery is you know really really catchy song uh yang chris's vocals are continuing the evolution they'll go through over the next few releases where they're becoming a more of a deep bellow than this really kind of like more raspy gurgly growl that he had before like he he has a voice that by the time you get to the second album false is a very unique sound in death metal whereas on that that very first um demo like he kind of sounded like yeah fairly traditional growl and I, I like the evolution of his his vocal style i think it's um there's something about his delivery that you know just always like stands out to me even if it isn't the most traditional although i could see it being divisive for a lot of people interestingly reading about mind loss like the band themselves i don't think were ever particularly happy with it apparently the the sort of the drummer mark um was really struggling with recording this apparently like the recording of confessions of a serial killer on this which the incredible song was you know would have been kind of well known in the death metal underground took 22 takes to get the drums right for it and this is where like the cracks in the band start to form so uh alex the other guitarist um apparently was more into kind of thrash metal and kind of wanted to play that faster style whereas frank and yang chris were wanting to do um a more like heavy sort of grind influence kind of sound which is kind of what we got on on mind loss um so yeah like not long after this this lineup will will kind of fall apart but i do think it's interesting listening to these older tracks like the drum performance they were asking for is very complex like mark is like doing that kind of cool thing where he's throwing in fills constantly and you know it's it's fairly fast paced i refer to it as like mid-paced death metal but that's just because you know the upper end of death metal bassing can be absolutely ridiculous like i don't imagine these songs were was simple to play and say they're quite complex in terms of just loads and loads of riffs and the, the performances sound great like however frustrating it might have been for the band to record like it sounds fucking excellent on this album and 
there's definitely a debate whether the the demos are better because these songs really don't have much of an evolution between them it's going to be down to personal taste of which ones you um you like the tone best on i think for me like horrors is the kind of peak but honestly it's all pretty good like uh, yeah i think they may be slightly improved from the tangled and gore performances just because the drums sound a bit more bit more full and i think they are ever so slightly more complex in the performance there's still an interesting like sort of fact the lacking of like there's bits of lead guitar in in every song but it's kind of a little uninspired like it's definitely the least interesting part which again is is something that will will sort of come up soon but yeah if you're into your kind of like 90s death metal like particularly that early early wave of it before it started evolving and getting weirder Mind loss is definitely worth revisiting or or um horrors like whichever whichever you kind of fancy but like yeah so this collection is well worth picking up it is just a really solidly executed slab of death metal with with some interesting twists as they say like yeah and chris's vocal delivery of that kind of low bellow that's like a bit more clear um really really fits the sound well and, and just makes it feel ever so slightly different <laughs> another different element as well and i think one that works far less is the album cover rather than like say your dan seagrave or necrolord's um complex artwork they i think i assume some friends of the band have actually built this weird model out of like coke bottles and like children's toys and a severed doll's head by the looks of it and made this strange like contraption that looks like it's you know destroying the brain of the doll's head it's it's unique i don't think it's good personally but you know <laughs> maybe i'm being too traditionalist on this like they're certainly trying for something a bit different there <laughs> this guitarist alex would be kicked out of the band somewhat acrimoniously and new guitarist uh baldwin bonebacker will be brought in um who's like an interesting choice of replacement like previously playing an alternative uh rock band lewd he was like much more of a kind of lead guitarist type like a very bluesy influence on the band which we'll see coming in the next album and shortly after this they put out a live ep uh, live misery which features three tracks um two from the uh, new out like the forthcoming album and uh one off the old one there self-titled gore fest and as it goes like I, it's one of those live recordings that really um i don't think requires much reviewing it just 
it's not the best capture. Maybe interesting to hear the band at this point in time before before the change in in drummers and the the difference that will have on the band. But yes, yeah, so Gorefest were playing out live more at this time, even getting to support like bands who were a big influence on them, such as Carcass, and making a bit of a name for themselves. They were able to leave their um, their previous label, Foundation Two Thousand, and join up and coming label Nuclear Blast, which was clearly a big step up for them so around this point more internal tensions leads to drummer mark being expelled from the band seemingly due to sort of a combination of his live and studio performances um and the band teamed up with new drummer ed warby who uh, was previously in elegy um a progressive slash power metal band even in 92 like that same year performing on their debut album labyrinth of dreams so i i think you can imagine fans at this time being a bit sceptical of half the lineups being kicked out and they've been replaced with two new members who do not have backgrounds in death metal. And, you know, this is the early 90s. I think people were far more uh, uh, worried about influences from other genres getting into death metal than they are now. But they needn't have feared. Later that year, 1992, went into the studio and recorded their really their masterpiece false second album at the time apparently the most expensive album um nuclear blast had ever put out they went away to the uh to the welsh countryside to record this and once again teaming up with colin richardson and made just an absolute sort of beast of an album there is so much evolution like at its core it just sounds thicker and like just so much more giant than the debut the drum performance is kind of night and day with it on like mark by no means from the recording sounds like a bad drummer but ed warby at the time had this reputation of like being the best drummer in the netherlands which is probably a nonsense over exaggeration but he's very very good and particularly for a young band his performance just stands out and like every riff sounds huge because of his ultra precise drum performance uh Baldwin, uh says in like the, the sort of the booklet for the the false reissue that before he joined the band he thought they were really tight and then the second they sat down with an actually tight drummer realized how much work they had to do so Ed Warby's kind of very musically gifted influence clearly bringing the uh, the band up to the next level. And this album just sounds so much more kind of complex um, by, by virtue of that. The drum performance is absolutely fantastic. And that huge reduction where there's like really chunky bass and guitar sound coupled with this great capture of the drums, this absolute sledgehammer snare drum. Um, if you know, if you're familiar with like any of Ed Warby's latest stuff like Hail of Bullets, you'll you'd be aware of that kind of sound he brings to it like that precision like absolutely brilliant like his blasts always sound amazing so nasty and uh full-on another major change with this album is the lyrics like going from this kind of gore obsessed kind of horror movie stuff to very strident sort of left-wing um talking points and yeah and that coupled, as I say, Jan Chris's voice sort of evolves, like going into more of this lower bellow with each album. I think I find his voice like somewhat reminiscent of um, Barney from Napalm Death, but with that like more bellow rather than the growling voice, you can really hear the lyrics. So, like these songs make far more kind of obvious political statements, and they're they're kind of 
very much a central hook to a lot of the songs like his, his lyrics are very memorable um and he did the band seemed wholly on board with this this sort of change in direction and then the final sort of piece of the puzzle that comes in is uh Baldwin's guitar playing like he adds a a level of like melodicism to the leads that just was never there before like the leads were always lacking in the early early gorefest stuff and he produces some absolutely incredible bits of lead guitar just like less so technical than just immensely memorable both the open and closer of this album have incredible solos the glorious dead and the mass insanity have these long kind of instrumental sections that really are just like absolutely brilliant kind of melodic playing which is a great detour in the middle of an otherwise kind of quite heavy brutal release um frank Hawthorne does actually still get in there like on the track reality when you die he plays the lead section and his playing is coming a lot it's not the kind of melodic styling of battlewing but it's he his writing has got a lot more interesting I think with this album as well, the influence from kind of early earache stuff is even more blatant, with the album cover being this kind of odd collage that's very reminiscent of Napalm Death, and even track titles like From Ignorance to Oblivion feeling really influenced by that that sort of style of of British grind. But Gorefest have their own take on this sound. Like it doesn't like, despite there being lots of elements that remind me of Napalm Death. This is very different. It's kind of not as fast, although like certain bits of the like certain performances are quite quick in places. Like some really precise blast beats. There's lots of space and kind of almost stuff that has like a bit more of a melodic doomy tendency the second track state of mind has this very sinister melody for it running throughout it and it never gets super fast um reality when you die like it was really back and forth between like faster and slower sections having this this sort of long middle bit where things go really really out of hand and then back to this more like doomy slow heavy ending um, and as i say then you're getting towards the end of the album like mass insanity as this huge sort of melodic departure the only downside to false and personally i love it but it is a little front loaded of like the glorious dead state of mind get a life like all in the first four tracks absolutely incredible reality when you die is a song i've listened to thousands upon thousands of times but the second half of the album, Second Face, Infamous Existence, are all great tracks, but they're just not quite as memorable. But I guess it gets away with a lot of this because it closes so strong with the mass insanity. But yeah, looking into it, no wonder there's that little bit of like a Napalm Death crossover. The the same year, 1992, they put out Utopia Banished, which has... Um, Colin Richardson and Peter Coleman producing and engineering it and mid-doing the cover art. All of which work like that is the same team that worked on the uh, on the Gorefest album, despite the difference in labels, which is is interesting. But yeah, I, I think the like false is just where it all came together perfectly. Like I love the huge drum sound they've got, that kind of almost like overproduced massive kick and snare sound works so well in this, and it all kind of Ed Warby's performance being that front and center feels just perfect to the album it just emphasizes everything the the tones are great everything sounds really massive and yeah it just did the job of like if any fans were worried these kind of more alternative and progressive musicians were going to uh steer gore fest away from their, their sort of heavier roots i think that's um 
definitely wrong. Although it, I, I guess false is a less, it's a less core sort of death metal album than Mind Loss. There are those other influences, but personally, I, I think those other influences just really elevate it. It is an absolutely fantastic album. <laughs> follow this off like a, a year later we get the Eidhoven Insanity so this is Gorefest performing live at um, Eidhoven Festival there's video of this as well but the the live album is, is the thing to really get it is just a perfect capture of the band at like absolute sort of top of their game playing mainly stuff off of um, False it's uh, six tracks off of False and then two tracks off of the debut album Mental Misery the, the only song not on the demos and closing the set with Confessions of a Serial Killer which of those two tracks do actually fit really kind of neatly into into the kind of um, the list of songs there and it, yeah the performance is fantastic uh, Yangris has a real sort of charismatic energy on stage like Obviously, I don't understand a word of his between song banter, but um, his delivery is is really intense. The performances, the performances are so flawless; it almost feels like like it might have been cheating somewhat. But there's video of it. It looks like this is this is totally real, and it it sounds just amazing. Um, I talked about it at great length on the sort of live albums episode, and it's sort of hard to decouple if like. If you've not listened to Gorefest before, I'd highly advise you to go check out False. Like, that's probably the great start point. The Idaho of Insanity is, um, is a difficult one to follow that up with because it's just all the same songs again performed, like, really perfectly. But when you're into the band, like, it is, it is an absolutely amazing capture of a live album. At bare minimum, it's worth going on YouTube and looking up the video for um, Reality When You Die. That performance, like the crowd are going wild in a way that just seems like unprecedented for death metal like especially i remember seeing this in like 2005 and just not believing there were that many people that could have been into this like it's just a sea of people as far as the eye can see going absolutely wild for gorefest middle of the day it looks like so boiling hot like they're having to spray water from the crowd and rather than there being like crowd surfers coming up on stage like things seem to be going so crazy people are just getting fired out of the crowd like bodies will just burst up in the air and then fall down on like the kind of security staff in the front row um 
for uh, like that aforementioned part in the middle of um Rati and Rodai when stuff goes really fast we see like Baldwin just like absolutely freak out in in like this really really interesting way to look where it's like oh what you do as a death metal band hasn't really been codified like this is just like really a really excellent like kind of unhinged performance which just feels like the band like really being in the moment and having having an amazing time and yeah like Gan Chris is this amazing sort of towering presence in the middle of the stage one of those just great things to exist of like yeah just capturing a band at like their peak like this this brings us to 1994's Erase their third album and the start of a bit of a divisive period for the band unable to get Colin Richardson to record this one he was busy working on Machine Heads to Burn My Eyes probably a sensible choice on his part considering um uh, they instead worked with Pete Coleman who had been sort of one of the other guys involved with their previous recording and that's kind of the downfall of Arrays like it's there's certainly some change in the album in terms of like song structure and a lot of the approach of the band but the core problem is the album is way too clean it doesn't sound that heavy like there is something about the way the guitars are mixed that just doesn't conjure the kind of the wool of sound false has and then the guitar the the drums sorry are just like there's something really odd and off-putting about the drum sound this album that just doesn't quite work but if you can look past that and i'm certainly someone who you know I have a bit of a tin ear for production and a lot of the time end up really liking albums with famously hated production. Like, I feel this is one that's sort of in a vein with maybe something like Hypocrisy's Fourth Dimension, where I really love the album, but the band seemingly kind of hate it because the recording just did not go as planned. But as I say, if you can look past the, the sort of the mix of it, there is a lot of really interesting stuff on display in Arrays. The band have clearly tried to get a lot more complex. The songs are, like, far more kitchen sink. Like, there is loads more lead guitar thrown in there. The structures are far more, like, ever-changing and all over the place. Lots of, like, moments where, like, everything will drop out and you just get bass guitar. There's, like, a clean, like, uh, almost acoustic leads thrown into the middle of section of arrays that then, like, transition to heavy, more blasting stuff. Like, songs like Piece of Paper still get quite brutal and death metal-y, um, but then, like, say something like Fear has, like, a big sort of blues influence in the guitar playing. It's a very progressive album, but the, the death metal's still at the core of it. So, Yankris's vocals have softened ever so slightly, and I know there's some that you know, really despise, like, the change in writing on this album, but I, I really like the kind of complexity and weirdness of it, and uh, Badawain's lead guitar playing is very front and centre. On a track like Fear, I think he has about four guitar solos, like, he is regularly leaning into his lead playing. Ed Warby's drumming is sort of as complex and interesting as ever, and, and there's a lot of really memorable riffs. The album is hampered by really falling off in the second half, like, the first four tracks are definitely the best four and the like the last two i always skip i like i never never listen to goddess in black or to hell and back i just don't think they work that well by comparison but that first half hour of the album is really solid and there's some great sort of interesting melodic progression seed of hate has this really cool sort of melodic lead section in the middle that you know goes through all these different cool riffs um yeah incredibly memorable stuff 
but as I say it is let down a bit by that production it just feels like if this was all heavier like if it's all had a bit more grit to the tone this album would have like it could disguise its progressive elements and give it a more classic death metal serving whereas the way it's presented it does feel like a, a really odd departure even though I don't know that, like, there's plenty of riffs in stuff like Arrays and Low that would have fit perfectly fine on False, and it, I think if they'd just got that sound right, like the Yankris in in sort of an interview um, in the, the lyric booklet was saying, like, if they'd just swallowed their pride and waited a few months to get Colin Richardson, it probably would have made all the difference. But yeah, so Arrays is a flawed release, but I think these songs were probably still holding up very well live. Like, Gorefest had a reputation for being an incredible live act, I'm sure, like, helped off like the backbone of Ed Warby's kind of performances. And I think these songs would have really sounded great in that kind of context. It's just, yeah, a shame, like, Erase doesn't quite work perfectly. But if you've been enjoying everything so far, I highly recommend checking this one out as well. <laughs> Soon after a raise, we get the relatively pointless Fear EP, which just features the album version of Fear, um, a re-recording of Horrors, a live version of Fear, because you need to do that song twice, and then the track The Raven, or Raven, sorry, which is a bit of a hint of where things are about to go. So, in 1995, the band, oh sorry, 1996, sorry, the band returned to the studio um, to record Soul Survivor. Our Soul Survivor, their fourth album, Things Take a Real Turn. Taking this from the interview in the booklet, Jan Chris said he was kind of creatively out of ideas, being kind of the real death metal backbone of the band's writing. So Barger Wayne really takes the lead on this. And apparently this was really driven by a kind of overlapping interests of ed warby frank and Baldwin all really liked your kind of classic 70s heavy metal um and hard rock so gorefest turned into the kind of uh, like a very Baldwin led project and produced this very hard rock influenced album full of lead guitar absolutely everywhere 
but it's still Gorefest. It still has a Gorefest name on it, which feels wildly inappropriate at this point in time. And it still has Yankris doing his grunts, just like they were on a raise, where, you know, he's not the most brutal death metal vocalist ever, but it's still a very inappropriate voice for the music. The opening track, Freedom, I actually quite enjoy. This is the one that I, I do think the sound works. But it sounds like a spiritual beggars song, that, that just suddenly has these scream vocals in the middle, particularly in the chorus, they they just sound very odd. It's so heavily led by Badawin's amazing lead playing, though, that I think this song kind of gets away with it because the vocals are very, very sparse. This doesn't hold up for the whole album. The band have said, like, a lot of the writing the Soul Survivor was a reaction to a raise where like a raise was this kind of very technical, very precise, complex album, so this has a much more loose, jammy, bluesy feel to it, which just for so much of it really doesn't work. Tracks like Forty Shades or the Type Track Soul Survivor, they just all feel like they need a different vocalist. And and honestly it's that kind of move of, you know, there's so many bands you could reference who did this around this kind of... It's past 95, like, when death metal's, like, starting to become a bit passe. Like, you know, people like Zizma, for example, made that move into more more traditional rock, like, or death and roll, uh, you know, like... And Soul Survivor's interesting, because it's a death and roll album, but it's kind of death and roll without really meaning to be. Like, I don't think it took influence from stuff like Wolverine Blues. I think it's purely... The band wrote a load of 70s riffs, but played them really detuned and, you know, with their heavy kind of sounding guitars and used the vocalists they had to make this this um, this album. Like, it is it is a strange beast. It's in some ways worth hearing because, like, it is just such an odd term, but it, I don't know, for me it just doesn't quite work. The band themselves seem to be relatively happy with it, and I mean... It's it's like it's a very decent sounding album in terms of like the mix and production. It it all sounds really good, and I think it definitely has its defenders. I've seen very positive reviews on it, um, but I've also seen a lot of reviews of people like, "What the absolute fuck was this?" I can see it being a very very divisive listen. Maybe if you're big into your death and roll, give it a go. It's it's interesting that the band sort of ended up at death and roll through a kind of quite circuitous route. But yeah, in general, despite, you know, this being one of the ones I picked up as a teenager and really tried to get into, I was never able to crack this album. continue in this vein for a bit um the really interesting thing they talk about in the, in the lyric booklet to this of around this time getting paid by the dutch club circuit to join the marlborough flashback tour so something paid for by the cigarette manufacturer marlborough where dutch bands were were kind of paid to tour doing cover sets and so they they 
like do a cover set of all like their favorite bands and for for this gore fest chose acdc black sabbath and deep purple as as bands to cover in their kind of heavier style apparently they're one of the few heavier bands on this torch i i don't know how i feel about that like getting professional bands to to just convert themselves into covers bands it's an interesting idea i guess but um i'm not sure i'm not sure i particularly want to see my favorite band just play other people's songs this did at least lead to them going to the studio for one more album before their their first split in 98 their fifth album chapter 13 which i think does continue on more in the kind of vein of freedom so if you not sorry not freedom soul survivor so if you didn't really get soul survivor I don't think Chapter 13 would suddenly appeal. As far as I'm concerned, I think it's a more interesting effort. They, It's got a little bit more of an aggressive rock edge to it while still being that kind of death and roll sort of blues influence thing heavily based around big solos. Jan Chris seems far more interested in modifying his voice for this though. Like he he does still have his kind of more classic scream, but he's also like, he does some actual clean vocals, some interesting stuff where like, lots of effects on his voice doing like weird whispers and spoken passages and things that are just slightly more fit the music honestly like it starts strong with the first like the title track chapter 13 is really catchy and then i struggle with it like the next track broken wing i kind of hate and there's nothing i really love until like the last three tracks of the album like um Burnout, Super Reality, and Serve the Masses are actually pretty good songs. Problem is, it's a 13-track album, and I really don't get on well with the middle of this. And it still has that odd energy of, this feels like a very strange album to be under the band name Gorefest. But much like Soul Survivor, it's got its defenders. The band themselves really like this album and how it turned out, and many tracks of it kind of sat in their live repertoire all the way post them sort of reforming. But... At this point in time, internal tensions got to the band and they split up and went their separate directions. Uh, Badawain went into, like, classically trained stuff. Um, they are taking, sort of, music theory very seriously. Ed Warby went on to incredible success, joining Aerion for their third album. Um, previously, actually, Yankris did some vocals on the, the debut Aerion album, The Final Experiment. But yeah, Into the Electric Castle... Um, like the legendary third album ed warby joins arion as the only additional like official member i think ever in their their time as a band and is still in the band to this day also performing with star one as well like arjun's other projects always like this weirdness around Gorefest. like ed warby just feels like such an odd fit but he is so perfect like the fact he can be the drummer for false for like hail of bullets of frost and war but also the human equation. He's a very, very interesting character. As I say, quite a few years ago now, I did an episode focused on sort of four different projects of his to showcase that. I, I think he's a fantastically but interesting drummer and really, um, really adaptable and able to play so many different styles. Um, also incredible because apparently he doesn't practice at all. Yeah, so I believe there was some touring around Chapter 13. Apparently the label paid for them to be support for uh, Judas Priest on a tour, which apparently was like a, a more common kind of practice back then of buying onto these the bigger tours. I can't imagine how well Gorefest would have gone down with Judas Priest's audience, but yeah, no idea. 
anyway, they they break up in ninety eight, and fortunately for us, that isn't the end of the story with with Gorefest. They actually reform again six years later in 2004 to play some live shows and then very quickly write some new material. Uh, by October 2005, they put out Laumerte, their sixth album, which is such a return to so many things. So they've re-signed with Nuclear Blast at this point. The cover is this yeah collage, very reminiscent of that same era of Napalm Death. And the music uh, displayed in Laumerte is completely devoid of any of the blues trappings of the last two albums or even the kind of complex weirdness of a race this feels like a very conscious return to the sound they had on fault recorded at excess studios with hans peters who it, you know he's someone like you definitely own the odd album from him he's like I guess, like, some of his most legendary engineering work is stuff like Arion's The Human Equation. He's on those cool Creep Mime albums. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff from that, that kind of part of the world that's, you know, very interesting in the general area of, of metal and progressive music. And he did a fantastic job. Like, the band sound huge and, like, the, the guitar tone is, yeah, again, it's, it's that real full-on like sound wave filling um approach they had on false like the drums sound like really massive and intense it's got that real precision it's a very long album is probably the only thing against it almost 70 minutes like 12 tracks of this like classic death metal style um Yang Chris is kind of singing most like he did on a raise I'd say like his voice kind of sits in that register for the rest of their their albums like that that growl that's very clear and enunciated very low like yeah almost a more of a bellow than a growl but it's it's still got enough harshness that it feels feels like classically death metal and the the attack of the guitars is so much more in that vein fascinatingly actually for their the opening track for the masses which is like the video single for the album used to promote it doesn't even feature a guitar solo like it has like this this moment in the video it's kind of cheesy but i quite love it of like yang chris at the end of the song pushing over the the microphone stand and walking away as the uh the two guitarists play their kind of like ending heavy section but the the, the rather than it being like a big solo or anything like that it's a um it's this really fast like chug that, like they intersperse with this kind of a slightly melodic lead i guess but it, yeah it's it's not it's not showing the way it, even a lot of tracks like uh, like on false were like they, they, nothing like the glorious dead or something like that and the album does keep out like a really excellent pace with with tracks like for the masses of just filling song after song with really good riffs like really making a, a very memorable death metal album like when the dead walk the earth incredibly catchy and there is just great song after great song it's just a lot in the same style um the the best like sort of departure from this and i'm kind of one of the most solid moments of the album actually is the closer la merte um like a 10 minute instrumental track where the band go into more bolt thrower territory than i think they ever have before like like that real rhythmic chug comes in in this like you'd think for a 10 minute instrumental it might get a bit more experimental but actually it's it's just this really hefty death metal song with a a few little like atmospheric departures but yeah just just a fantastic 10 minutes of 
really pummeling riffs. So, yeah, if you <laughs> like with this album, definitely push through the last song because it closes very strong. And while the single may be devoid of it, the lead guitar does come back in a big way with you know tracks like "You Make Me Kill" and uh, "Of Death and Chaos." Really um, have these fantastic solos, but they are more in the the vein of like the mass insanity. These kind of they're still like there is that blues influence there, but they're very technically precise and less jammy than the the others and the tone is such that it's just kind of still got that kind of nasty heaviness to them they they fit very naturally in this song and don't in these songs they don't feel like a a departure from the genre now maybe i'm missing like sort of musical eccentricities in there but it does seem like uh Baldwin needs an even like pushing say like all that new classical knowledge he would have had from his uh sort of time away from the band like these feel like the exact same style of writing that was on false um almost 13 years prior to this which is really cool like i love that the band like basically just recapture that energy and just have the the nicety of like sort of modern recording with it to back it up the lyrics are still in the same vein as as that kind of false and erase era where it's like very politically angry and like in your face um i, I think some might find like tracks like for the masses feel very on the nose but i i kind of like it but i i could see it being being off-putting to some but yeah i i think that delivery is just so core to kind of what gorefest are So sadly, kind of, this is where the story comes to the close and Gorefest with their final and seventh album, Rise to Ruin. They split up soon after this one, but they go out on an absolute high. I'd say easily the second best album of their career, like the one to, to follow on from False, is Rise to Ruin, where they just build on everything they got right on La Merte. Go back into the same studio, still with Nuclear Blast, same lineup, and put out another storming death metal album. This is the, the the album that got me into the band. With the like, I was hooked from the drum intro to Revolt. It, like Ed Warby just puts in this amazing set of fills at the start of this song that feel so heavy and over the top and just showy and cool. I remember like <laughs> this really puts it in a time period. But I remember 
coming across this band um i think i've got added by them on myspace and you know if you you had myspace profiles you click on you go in and they start playing a song and the song playing was revolt and from like the opening 30 seconds i was like i have to own this album it's uh it's incredible and that's that song still like a golfer song i absolutely love despite like all the kind of silliness within it that drum intro is absolutely fantastic the main like verse and chorus so incredibly catchy and then that section in the middle where all goes really mellow and you get this kind of gentle but slightly sinister solo that just builds up into like an um like an explosion of like ultra like nonsense shredding over like a classic ed warby blast beat just absolutely fantastic stuff i can even forgive that really stupid kind of spoken word interlude in the middle it just it all fits the style perfectly the album's filled with all the classic staples that would be the sound like the kind of heavier chords with just like the the endless like double kicks going underneath them these sort of slightly sinister melodic building riffs that burst into these huge blast beating sections like they're really masters at this point in time of like the just accurate change in pace where they can sort of shift in and out of blasting to insert kind of more atmospheric riffs or come away into just an absolute, absolutely brutal pummeling. And that coupled with this very catchy, memorable, like, lyric delivery, but it just makes the album just feel incredibly solid. The mix is, is very similar to the previous album, but just ever so slightly better, which I think just helps elevate it. And then, it, again, it helps a lot by a slightly more condensed runtime. Uh, although we, we do get another really long song in the form of Babylon's Whores, where they go on a bit of a, a kind of interesting departure in the middle of the track, but it comes back really heavy. Like, it works very well. And a fantastically strong closer that I think... Um, Definitely the band was aware this was going to be the end because the final track of the album is called The End of It All and it will be the, the final Gorefest track kind of ever released. Well, barring a seemingly unlikely uh, reunion. But yeah, I just, I really like how they sort of came back and I assume they must have had some backlash to that kind of Soul Survivor Chapter 13 era because despite the band sort of, you know, talking those interviews in the booklet about like enjoying like degrees of those albums... It seems like they made such a conscious statement with the two comeback albums to really go back to the roots of stuff like False and what definitely feels like the kind of fan favourites. As I say, it, it's an interesting one with Gorefest. I think maybe it is like sort of those departures like that meant they don't come up in the conversation so much, but for a Netherlands death metal band, like they have it for, to my mind at least four excellent albums and a lot of other material around that that's like well worth checking out but yet you just don't hear their name anywhere near as much as stuff like pestilence and asphyx fair enough i mean those bands are utterly incredible but yeah it's interesting to think how much was going on in the netherlands scene at this time where actually this band did get quite big you know selling you know 50,000 copies of certain albums like they, they were known and out there it, but yeah there, I guess there was just such a death metal explosion in the 90s that not all of this stuff comes up when when going back to the conversation so yeah definitely sort of my my guide for if you want to get into Gorefest now would be obviously start with False it's incredible the the demos are really worth checking out as well in a more kind of 
traditional sense like those those are less revolutionary whereas false really feels like a kind of unique individual statement and then the comeback career is is really worth it for for a band coming back to the yeah that that kind of very individual sound they had and and really recapturing the magic in a very impressive way okay i think i'll leave that one there Sorry this episode took so long coming out, I took a bit of a break over the holiday period, but I hope to get back to that kind of fortnightly release schedule I was in beforehand. The next episode i got coming out is going to be a really dense one, but it should be a lot of fun, I think I think it will appeal. Um, another deep dive on some, some cool historical stuff. As always, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this episode. Were you already a fan of Gorefest? Were you aware of their music beforehand? Maybe I'm overplaying their kind of underground nature these days um are you a fan of that middle period of their albums like is that stuff actually like worked well for you like i would be really interested to know because it seems like you know fans are very divided on that stuff so if you want to get in touch um uh, phil's breakfast metal on facebook um on instagram phil's breakfast metal you can email me if you want to send longer messages i do try and respond um phil's breakfast metal one word at gmail.com Uh, But otherwise, yeah, thanks a lot for listening. (laughs) 